and welcome to the NDA podcast. My name is Justin Pierce and I'm the editor. Today's podcast is one of our series called NDA Meets, where we get the chance to sit down and chat in depth to some of the leaders disrupting our industry. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Marcel Holderback of Products Up. So Marcel, hi, and thanks for joining me in the NDA studio. Hi Justin, thanks for having me. So let's hear a bit about you. I mean, Products Up is a company that people know, obviously, but it's great to hear from you exactly. So, so who is Products Up and what do you do there? Sure. Um, Products Up is an um, e-commerce data integration company. We uh, work with brands and retailers globally and basically um, help them syndicating their product content, their product catalogs and all the products they sell um, out across the whole ecosystem of search engines, affiliate networks, um, social commerce sites, and so on. So basically everywhere where the product hits the consumer um, and uh, where they want to sell. Um, the company is 10 years old right now. We uh, just this month hit uh, 200 employees, which is a great milestone, obviously, as well. Exactly. We're, we're um, active globally. We sell um, all across the world with a headquarter in, uh, in Berlin, in, in Europe, but also with a pretty large operation these days in APEC and also North America. Fantastic. Great. So you've got a real great umbrella view of e-commerce generally. So let's let's kick off and talk about the thing we can't avoid, COVID. And uh, what have you seen in terms of the impact of COVID and how that's changed e-commerce in general and obviously how it's changed consumers' way of we're buying, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... That was something last year, right? <laughs> yeah. So when uh, I think in Germany, uh, the shops closed in March and uh, the first reaction, I think, I believe all across the market was panic in the first place, right? Nobody knew what was going to happen. Um, neither did we. Um, but we saw a couple of things basically set, a couple of things, things were set in motion. And if I would have to give it a headline, I would say um, COVID for a lot of companies was like a chief digital officer, right? Okay. That walked all across the organization and basically has speed up a lot of the um, initiatives and, and uh, things on the roadmap yeah, that probably have been there um, in place for a long time, but needed this, this push and acceleration. And obviously um, I think brands and retailers were affected. We saw another, um, uh, another audience that, that was massively affected from its um, which have been um, our travel clients. So we uh, also did a fair amount of work with companies like Trivago and so on, right? And obviously their business was gone from one day to the other. So we see them slowly returning, but for the classic brands and retailers that were um, or are still operating brick and mortar operations, shop closure meant um, basically everything had to move online fast, right? So <laughs> um, obviously we also, as a software company, we were unsure how the, our business also is gonna develop what we have seen is that um, we basically became part of the infrastructure for our clients and were able to help them to move from brick and mortar to online and reach even more customers there quite quickly. And we've seen with, with a lot of our clients, basically the likes of, I don't know, Ikea and Douglas and Sephora and so on, right? That they had massive push towards e-commerce and the, I think the interesting thing is um, this remained on a very high level, right? So the shift that has happened is nothing that um, basically is just a COVID effect. And once COVID, if it ever uh, disappears, yeah, um, it returns to the, to the rate before, but it, it, it went up to a higher level 
and um, it will stay there for for the time being, I guess, right? And probably even um, accelerate further in the future. Do you think it'll stay there for good? I mean, are these behavioral changes we've seen, are they endemic? You know, consumers going to flip back. We've seen in the UK just this this week, uh, Gap closes closes physical stores, and, and they were sort of a staple of the high street. So, how how endemic are these changes going to be? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I think. I mean, we ran a we ran um, a research a couple of years ago at Products Up that we called "Save the High Street," and the assumption uh, back in the days was, or the myth that we were dealing with was that um, e-commerce, basically, or online, is killing offline. And what we figured out back in the days, um, and I would say up until last March, this um, still was true, was that online and offline, if they are interlocked in the right way they basically profit from each other right so um, it's not like the one is cancelling out the other so people start their research online they transacted and bought in, in store and the other way around now obviously with with stores closed and with change behavior now um, this has changed and i believe the impact of it will be that a classic brick and mortar operation probably as we used to have it um, can exist but probably needs to change um, going forward into more of what we call entertainment shopping is the wrong word but um, having really spaces where you can engage with a brand where the brand can become um, somewhat personal right and um, and create this um, this relationship with the consumer that is a lot harder to build in a, in a pure e-commerce environment so my assumption would be while e-commerce stays there um, and will become um, uh, very relevant and will be basically where most of the transactions happen. The physical stores can be a brand ambassador and can be for relationship building, for um, Q&A around a product, right? For really for brands to interact with their consumers. Sales will be there as well, I think, but um, not as relevant anymore as it used to be. So what, this is kind of a stupid and big question at the same time, what's next for e-commerce? And as you say, I love your description of COVID being a chief digital officer. First time I've heard it called that, that's very good. You know, it, it really has sped up existing trends. We all know that these things are coming anyway, but so what's next? Is that too big a question? Sure, yeah. I mean, um, we, we're constantly developing. Yeah? And um, I think when you, when, you, when you go back 15 years, um, e-commerce basically meant you had probably a website or a blog with a couple of products where people buy, right? Then um, market, marketing um, um, options have developed like Google Shopping, um, marketplaces have, have evolved like Amazon and eBay and so on. Um, this is, by the way, also a, a mega trend that we see that more and more retailers become marketplaces themselves, right? When you're asking for the future of e-commerce, big trend. Um, then we saw the emergence of more programmatic advertising and everything that was happening there. And then I would say the last wave and um, pretty big last year um, is social commerce, for example, where we saw the rise of things like um, Facebook shops, Instagram shops, uh, Instagram checkout, right? Um, social media apps getting native checkout capabilities, almost becoming marketplaces themselves. And this is the, this is the wave where in Right now, I think what we'll see going forward, um, and this relates to people probably not being as engaged with brick and mortar anymore as they used to, um, is we'll see even more um, 
um, even more sophisticated ways of how products are presented on e-commerce sites, right? So we saw last year our clients, uh, Home Depot USA and also IKEA, they started playing around with augmented reality models. So you can basically take your smartphone, um, go on the IKEA website and position a sofa in your room with a smartphone, right? So this is experimental, um, but we've seen great uplift in engagement and conversion and, and, and so on. And I think this is just the logical evolution if you think about more and more is happening online and augmented reality might be, might be one of the building blocks. I think what's um, extremely relevant and we'll see more of that um, also is video. Um, Instagram launched Reels last year. Um, TikTok, if you look in that, that direction, it's a video a native platform, right? There is no static images. Now TikTok also launched their first um, e-commerce products, their first advertising products. And it's no surprise that um, everything that's happening there is all around video content, right? So brands and retailers who want to engage with the TikTok platform, for example, need to figure out on how to provide video content. And um, I think that's a great development for the consumer in the end, because you, you're getting away from just a small, tiny product image, right? Where we started with a couple of bullet points, basically to really um, high quality images, high quality video, augmented reality content, uh, more descriptions. Look at Amazon with, with their A plus content, what you can do there, right? You can build whole brand experiences and so on. And I think this is, this is where, where it's going. Um, and um, yeah, um, it's, it's well, one of the reasons is because consumers are more online now than they used to be. Okay, let's dig into social commerce in a minute. I know that's a, it's a particular passion of yours. But first of all, I mean, <laughs> The e-commerce is so it's booming now, and the prospects are rosy, and all you know that, that's the general sort of discussion. But what about what about the challenges for the e-commerce sector in general? What are they? Uh, we we know that the consumer behaviour has changed. Everyone's online. Everyone's buying more online, and that's great. And we're seeing e-commerce exploding. So, so, what are the biggest challenges for the sector? <clears throat> I think one of the um, larger challenges is that technology and um, yeah, e-commerce counts into that, like big tech basically tends to centralization, right? So, and um, we see it with Amazon that is eating up more and more market share. And we see it with other incumbents as well. Like um, I think Walmart is doing a pretty good job right now. And we have players in Europe that are somewhat similar, right? And uh, Zalando, for example, or About You that just went public German, uh, German e-commerce brand. And um I think the, the challenge for everyone who is not Amazon and is not Walmart and so on will be to compete with that, right? And um, retailers and brands will have to figure out ways um, on how to stay competitive, on how to find a direct access to their consumer, build consumer relationship without gatekeepers, and also do something that differentiates themselves from these big Amazons and so on. For me, a good example always is when you, um, when you go on Amazon and you want to buy some furniture, this is a horrible experience. Um, so first of all, most of the offering is not really high quality. And then also Amazon is not really built for, for furniture shopping, right? So the, the ways how you can discover and filter and find products is, is not ideal. And then you do the same um, and you go on um, um, you go on Ikea, for example, um, uh, or you go on, uh, on something like House yeah, or on, on Wayfair, which is, I think, the best example. You go on Wayfair and you have a whole different experience around buying furniture. And I think Wayfair, for example, will always stay competitive to someone like 
like Walmart and uh, and Amazon because they find that they have specialized, right? And they found their niche um, in which they are really good at. And people enjoy coming to that destination for that for the specific purpose. And then I believe um, that that's the way to go also for um, for other um, uh, retailers and brands. Um, Home Depot, yeah, be really good at DIY stuff, right? And and, and so on. And that, that's how you can overcome it. But I would say a big threat yeah, is, is centralization. Um, and with that comes obviously also resources. Um, the big platforms, Walmart, Amazon, about you, Zalando, and so on, they obviously also have the resources, right, to drive their tech forward, to drive their R&D forward, and so on. And um, yeah, it's, it, it can be hard at times to keep up with that. Okay, let's move on to talk about social commerce you mentioned in your intro Sylvester all certain things that are going on and obviously more and more brands are looking at these platforms the platforms themselves are launching shopping capabilities so social commerce at the moment what's the general state of social commerce it's still quite a new a new discipline I guess yeah yeah I would agree it's, I think it's it's pretty much um, a new discipline it's um so running ads right and and um, somewhat generating demand and um, reaching consumers on social that is not new so facebook dynamic ads have been around for a while right so since 2015 um in, in the us i think even earlier and um also uh, advertising on snap has been around for a while you could already run um, ads on pinterest the promoted pins and so on the way how this is different is that the transactions never happened on the uh, on the social side, right? So it typically was an ad. You click on it, you had a redirect to the e-commerce property of the brand or the retailer, and then the transaction would happen in the uh, learned and uh, basically uh, already there environment of the brand and retailer. Now, I think partly also driven by all the changes that we're seeing with um, privacy laws and potential coming up changes um, in tracking with third third party cookies and so on um, a lot of the uh, large platforms google facebook tiktok snap pinterest and so on they're thinking about how can they mitigate the risk of probably seeing future damage to their to their core uh, core ad operation and one of the mitigation i guess they found is uh, to basically become marketplaces themselves and to provide commerce and shopping capabilities in their existing um, walled gardens, basically, that they run because that's what they can control, right? And what they want, want to continue to control. Um, so um, Facebook launched shops, I think two years ago now, right? It has been around for a while. Um, now Instagram checkout is, is widely available. TikTok is working on, on similar products. And we know that all of the others are basically also doing the same. So uh, fast forward two, three years, I would expect almost all the large social platforms out there having some sort of shopping and native checkout capability. Now, the adoption, on the other hand, that's a whole different story, right? So because the, the conversation or at least the, um, the battles that we are seeing that our, uh, our clients are fighting um, and the discussions they're having internally is when you engage with something like Instagram checkout, right, where the transaction happens within the Instagram app, and not on your own online shop, what you basically do is you trade conversion for data. So because you can expect a higher conversion within the Instagram app 
because the whole brain power of Facebook basically is working on improving that click and that checkout, right? On the flip side, the data that you would otherwise be able to capture if, if you would redirect the traffic to your, the consumer to your own uh, property, that is, that is, is gone basically. It's, it's, a, it's a black box, right? It stays within um, the Instagram or Facebook environment. And I think that's the trade-off basically you're doing, right? So you, you're in this constant balance between, okay, how much am I giving up for a better conversion and how much do I want to own basically in the, in the customer relationship? And um, some, some uh, companies are running a hybrid. Um, my, my personal um, observation is that um, brands are sometimes using this um, checkout capability and so on to test out new products quickly, right? Before they basically come up with a complicated setup and so on, they use that as a, as a quick go-to-market. And then once it starts scaling, they implement it in the existing infrastructure. So it's, it's very nice for basically um, jumping a few steps in, in, in your, in your e-commerce um, stack, right? Um, and have it quick access to the consumer. Um, but and up until it's fully rolled out, I think it will take a couple of years. So in terms of data, it's a really good point that in fact you're giving away the data. And as we all know, data is one of the most crucial elements of any, any sort of company strategy. How, but how's that changing? Are the platforms starting to offer up more? Because I, I guess they want as many brands as possible to get on board and, and you know, get into the shopping ecosystem. So is the, is the data exchange, data trading, is that changing or platform starting to offer up more or is it completely, as you say, a black box and you get nothing? <clears throat> I mean, um, the way, for example, how Facebook works is you can build custom audiences, right? You can, you can access your own audience just within Facebook, right? So you can't take the Facebook audience data or at least not very easily and, and, um, and put it into your own data management system and then run adds towards this audience um, across the internet on via programmatic or something like this, right? Or, um, uh, or use different retargeting providers and stuff. Um, so that, that's what I mean with, uh, within the environment of Facebook, obviously we can still leverage all the tools they provide and it's a great ad platform, no doubt about it, right? You can do great stuff with it, but it's then somewhat limited. And I think this is, um, it's a little bit counter to what the strategy of a lot of the brands and retailers that I know of um, is um, because their approach is basically get more independent from intermediaries, right? So it's a love and hate relationship, obviously. They get a lot of revenue from them, but on the, on the other side, they still want to be in control and they understand that they need to be in control and know who their customer is and have a direct relationship with them. And uh, that's exactly what needs to be balanced. So what brands are doing, doing social commerce well? Um, there are big names, but let's start with the small ones. I think social commerce is brilliant for, for these digital native micro brands, right? So um, I don't know if you're a heavy Instagram user, but if you are, you probably, you see so many different brands in your feed, right? That you've probably never heard of before companies um, providing the best, uh, the best hosiery and tights and, uh, and custom-made shirts and the best pants and the best t-shirts and so on, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sure though those are good products. Um, and I think it's the, it's, the, it's the first time in history that a small brand like this can find such a large audience 
and um, become popular basically among such an audience um, in a very targeted and specific way. Um, 20 years ago, for a small brand, it would be really hard basically to, uh, to, to get to new clients. And I think this, and you, you asked um, earlier about uh, challenges in e-commerce in general, I think for the established brands and the larger ones, these little upcoming micro brands and challengers, right, are those, those impose a big threat Uh, if, you, if you don't basically adapt the tools and the weapons that they are using, uh, you're under the threat that they will probably eventually at one point um, take over, right? And, um, and steal away um, your customers because they just have found a better and a more direct and a more uh, personal um, go-to-market, basically. Um, yeah, take, take, uh, take brands like Peloton, for example. Yeah, um, it's basically... They, they combined, first of all, they com combined the hardware with the software business quite, quite nicely. But what they did is they involved the whole community, right, around their, uh, their training programs and so on. And um, a big channel on how they go to market is basically through, through social, right, by leveraging their instructors, by leveraging the community, um, by, by having a really personal and direct outreach, basically, to, um, to the uh, potential clients. And um, I think that's, that's a good example. And, and there's, there's others who are also um, doing that quite nicely. I think companies like uh, Netta Porter, for example, or Farfetch, right? They're experts and stuff like this. Um, and they have definitely um, adopted uh, the weapons and the tools, so to say, that those micro brands are also leveraging. So I think it's, um, it's the, the, let's say, older, not so digital brands that need to be aware and need to be awake right and um and and not get their uh, their market share stolen which of the you know the, the older more traditional brands are, are doing it well do you think the big the giants which or are they still shying away from it because as you said they want to build direct relationships and get consumers to come to their own websites rather than going through through social platforms are there any big traditional brands doing it well um, for sure. Um, I think um, looking at basically um, our customers, um, we work with brands like Douglas, mm -hmm. German um, pharmacy and, and, and not pharmacy, um, they do um, cosmetics, right? So um, they've been really quick at adopting um, basically the new tools and social and up until the point, and that's why I'm bringing them up, um, where they are even running um, live shopping events on their website, right? And Douglas really is an, is an old established uh, European brand um, and, um, and they're very experimental, right? And they're open to those ideas. Um, they're working with a company called LifeBuy um, and, um, and, and they are basically enabling them to invite influencers to do something like um, live shopping, home shopping, teleshopping style um, um, campaigns and basically present products and the, um, the conversions that I've saw uh, are out of the world. Right? It's, it's amazing and people really like that. And um, I think it's the, the good thing is the, um, the knowledge in the market is here by now, right? So we are in the second, third generation now of marketeers and, and, and e-commerce talent and so on. And if there's, um, if there's some open-mindedness um, within the brands, you can acquire the right talent that is needed to basically build up that modern go-to-market and, and e-commerce operation. 
Um, it's really, um, and I think again, back to the beginning, COVID helped a lot with that because it accelerated that, that uh, change of thinking. So what are the, what do you think are the biggest challenges for, for any brand to, to move into social commerce and obviously how they've been overcome, you know, from the, the, the small digital brands you talk about to the, the big legacy, legacy brands, what are the biggest challenges? It is, um, it is interesting in the sense that when you are a classic brand, the way you used to do business is 180 degrees different from running um, business on social commerce. And what I mean by that is um, a classic brand manufacturer typically was used to producing large quantities and shipping pallets to a retailer that then would sell their product, right? So um, maximum detached from, from, from a consumer, basically, not even knowing who the consumer is. Now, social commerce is basically comes from the exact opposite end. You are basically talking to a consumer almost on a personal level, right? So it's, you, you can micro-target so much on social commerce that you can find audiences of 10 people, basically, special interest groups and so on, right? So you can become very, very personal. And it's, it's not just that um, social commerce is a one-way street, but you need to be also aware that you basically enter into a dialogue because once you engage with social commerce, you are on a social network and in a social network, there's communication, right? So, and it's, um, it's, so it's not just um, a technology decision or um, business decision, uh, or commercial decision, but it's really also, you need to put a strategy behind it also how to deal with inquiries and responses, right? And comments and critic as well, and really engage with the community. So I think that that's the piece that um, is so powerful about social media, but also needs to be controlled very well and managed very well because it can massively backfire, right? If you do that wrong. So you, for many companies, it's obviously such a different way of business, as you say. So how, how brands most effectively integrating social commerce into their existing E general business operations or, or e-commerce general generic is that the right word yeah. e-commerce operations you know how is social commerce best integrated or is it really just seen as, as an add-on an outside normal normal business yeah i think it can't be um regarded it can't look at it as an isolated strategy right it needs to be part of a larger basically direct to consumer e-commerce strategy um and it, it can be a starting point right it, it, it can be for example once you've taken the decision as a brand that you want to sell direct consumer, there's a whole lot of things that you need to put in place first, right? It starts with warehousing and fulfillment, right? If you're used to shipping pallets and all of a sudden you need to ship a single individual product to a consumer, right? You need to have the infrastructure for that in place. Luckily, also the marketeer has changed. We have Amazon warehousing, right? FBA fulfilled by Amazon. We have uh, something similar from, from Shopify by now. And I know um, of, of a couple of other uh, companies that are also now getting into this warehouse as a service game, right? Because that is a trend that has started. So it starts there. And then you need to figure out, okay, how, how should my e-commerce strategy look? Do I want to operate an own e-commerce operation in the first place? Like literally, run, do I have to run an online shop? Do I need Shopify? Do I need Salesforce Commerce Cloud? Whatever, you, you name it. So do I need something like this or... Do I make my first experiences by basically bypassing that step? And I'm, for example, leveraging 
marketplaces and social commerce, right? So I could directly go on Amazon as a seller and, um, and start selling to a consumer um, without having to put that massive investment in place. Um, or I could go um, on, on, on Instagram and do checkout on, and sell through Facebook shops and so on without having to put that investment in place and then work my way back from there, right? See if that works. Um, if I can, um, if I can reach the right audiences, if I can sell, then start um, basically diversifying, right, and add additional um, platforms and additional revenue sources. Okay, it's interesting. Marketplaces, D 2 C, social commerce, all seem to be so intertwined. I guess that's that's the secret of success: getting those three things working in parallel. <clears throat> yeah, um, I think. Um, do one and not leave out the other, right? I don't know if you say it like that, but um, what I mean is um, if you, all of these channels work, right? If you figure out how, um, how to best basically um, provide them with, with content, how to best set up targeting and so on. And my observation is that the larger an, uh, a brand or retailer gets, um, the challenge oftentimes is to do more sales at a reasonable price. Right. Um, and because at one point also a platform like Amazon or maybe a network like Facebook um, um, has, a, has a point where it's not effective anymore or reasonable to spend more. Right. And, and once you reach that point, you basically go on to the next platform and you figure out, OK, now I've basically maximized my my returns from from Facebook or from Instagram. So probably it's worth checking out Pinterest or probably it's worth checking out TikTok or Amazon, right? So you, you basically go onto the next platform to, in order to grow your overall business. Okay, let's talk, what's products up role in, in social commerce? Where do you sit and how do you help? And one of the interesting things I think is, do you help convert browsers to sales conversion, which is important because obviously on social generally, there's a lot of browsing going on. A lot. You mentioned on Instagram, there's all products and feeds. Now there's, you know, turning those views into sales, that's quite tricky, isn't it? Because of the amount of noise on social networks. So yeah, what's, what's product shop role here and how do you help in that? So um, the way how we sit in the, in the ecosystem is that we help um, the brands and retailers to basically connect their inventory, their product content, which in the end is something like Think of like an Excel sheet, right? We have attributes with title and descriptions and you have a price field and availabilities and you have images and video content and all that stuff. And the tricky part is that all of these different networks out there and marketplaces and search engines and social sites, they have different requirements on how this product information needs to be delivered and connected. Some have APIs, some require a CSV upload, some require a specific Excel format and something like this. And Products Up is like a translation engine in the middle. So we know the specifications of all these different channels. And we connect once basically to your product catalog, which could be in a PIM system or e-commerce system. And then we syndicate it out to the various channels. And there's a lot of stuff happening because when you syndicate it out, it's not just about the, the technical specification that needs to be right and the, the right API needs to be in place and so on. But you also need to contextualize the content for the various channels because it's different how you advertise and how you present your information on TikTok than, for example, on Amazon, right? So, or on Google, right? It's three, three different ways on how your product information needs to be presented and needs to be prepared. And then I think what's, um, um, what's 
what's even more interesting is if you go into social, you don't just contextualize for the platform like Instagram, but you can even contextualize for audiences, right? So think about you have like 50 different audiences that, that uh, respond to your, uh, to your product. And you might want to present, let's say, a Nivea cream, right? Um, face cream. You want to present it differently to an urban hipster from Berlin than to uh, a family father, for example, right? He might respond to a completely different creative and, and way of presenting the product. And that's basically what Products Up does, right? We connect you to the various channels, and then we also help you to contextualize for the channel, but also for the audience. And then the last piece um, that we also do is we help integrating all the orders that are then happening uh, with your backend systems, right? So when an order is happening on Amazon or within Instagram, you need to synchronize it back to uh, your fulfillment center and stuff like this. And you also need to take care of the whole process around returns and cancellations if it's, if it's happening. So what can go wrong, you know, if someone's not working with you? There's things, to be, it's, as you say, it's such a complex environment. What, what's the what's the worst case scenario for brands that go into this and don't optimize per audience and per country? And, you know, it's, it's so complex. What can happen? I think the catalog of things that can go wrong is pretty long. <laughs> but I mean... So what, what, what's important to understand is if you are if you're engaging with social commerce or if you're running, let's say, campaigns on Google Shopping, you typically back it up um, with, uh, with ad budget, right? So you, you, you promote your offers, you do the same on Amazon. So um, a lot of the, a lot, a lot of the um, catalog-based, basically, um, listings that are out there on marketplaces and search engines and social, um, are supported and are pushed with, with marketing dollars. So the worst thing from my point of view that can happen is that um, you burn through a lot of money because you are not presenting the product in the right way or you're presenting this even worse wrong information, right? Or you're presenting um, information in a way that is just damaged, right? So you, a classic would be you have, you present something and you have an HTML tag in the description. Right, this just looks really bad to the consumer, or you, you present an image that is formatted the wrong way. And all of these things that will have the result that you basically have bad return on ad spend. And on the flip side, if you have that under control, right, you maximize your output and you, you make the most of your marketing dollars. Yeah, as a, as a consumer, I'm surprised how often it goes wrong. You know, as someone that covers the industry, I, I understand sort of why, but yeah, it still goes wrong so often. It's crazy. We, 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 have, a, we have a great example from the, um, we still sometimes do it, but in the early days of the company, we, we used to go to clients and um, we asked them, do you think you have your product data under control? And if they would say yes, what we, what we typically did was we, we took our hand and put the hand over the product image. And then we ask them, do you still know what product that is? Wow. Right. And oftentimes you have descriptions like STX20 something critical number price. Yeah. But in fact, it used to be um, a 21 inch flat screen, for example, from Samsung or so. Right. And um, that, that always was very eye opening to a lot of folks. Yeah. Um, that there's still a lot of improvement to be done. Yeah? Because obviously, if you have a very descriptive, a descriptive product title, um, the engagement with, with your listing and then also the conversion will be much higher. Definitely, yeah. Details, details, details. So look, we talked a lot, covered a lot of ground. Uh, so let's end up with what's what's next products up or what's next for the market or, you know, what are you excited about 
we're coming to the end hopefully of this pandemic it is going to go away oh the world has changed you know so, so the rest of the year is looking hopefully a bit rosier what's next for products up um i mean we have ambitious uh, goals as a company ourselves right so we'll we keep growing and we have a lot of things on our roadmap but i think if you look at the um, at the e-commerce market in general, I'd say the trend around um, more and more detailed product content will continue to develop and we'll see more augmented reality. We know that our friends at Facebook are working on ways on how to do immersive shopping within um, Oculus uh, environments, virtual reality, right? All of these, these things um, are going to come. Um, and this, this is a personal passion um, topic aside from social commerce and uh, I hope this is not too far-fetched now but I personally also believe that um, rather sooner than later we're going to see something like um, e-commerce also becoming even more digital by products becoming more digital and you've probably followed the trend around NFTs non-fungible tokens with yeah. NBA top shot right providing uh, collect collectible cards and collectible video shots um, as a digital asset and we know, we know that some of our clients are already thinking around um, creating digital siblings, basically, of a collectible item like a sneaker or a special jewelry item or so, and put it on the blockchain, right, as an NFT. So if you if you think that further, I believe, um, aside from marketplaces, right, that we're seeing today with where you have physical products that are being sold, I can easily imagine the market going into a direction where you see also uh, digital marketplaces where there's NFTs being sold by brands, established brands also uh, in the future. And I, yeah, that, that uh, thought is very exciting to me. And, yeah, seeing uh, the face that is throughout I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see who will be the first companies to pull it off. Yeah, a a NFT, I mean, it is, it's the hottest topic of conversation. We keep running articles about it on NDA, it really is an exciting area. So I think all these we say, I think we've covered everything we need to cover. Um, so lastly, 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 what does the future hold for products up as a company? You know, how how's it changed? You said you reached about 200 people, which is an amazing achievement. How how has the pandemic and the you know the big changes that's brought in generally, how's that changed the company? What do you expect to happen over the next six months or a year? <clears throat> yeah, um, I mean, so going back to the beginning, when when the shops closed last year, um, nobody knew what was going to happen if basically all our customers would run away, right? Because all of a sudden there's no no business anymore. But uh, the exact opposite happened, right? So we we figured out we are actually an essential part now for the in the infrastructure in the stack of our clients, and we've seen massive growth basically throughout the client base because um, there's more products now being managed with our platform. There's more channels that are connected and that companies syndicate to, to drive more demand and sometimes make up for basically the losses in the brick and mortar business. And um, I think another effect, um, and this is again, the chief digital officer effect, um, we'll also see shorter sales cycles going forward, right? As the initiatives that have been on the roadmaps for a long time in a lot of companies are now being um, set into motion, right? And um, companies are now saying, okay, we now understand we need this um, because this is, this is the next evolution basically of our, of our business. Um, so we, we're seeing uh, as products up, we're seeing north of 40% growth um, in revenue and client growth is super happy. We attracted uh, amazing talent this year. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy how everything is going at the moment. 
Fantastic. Well, it's been a complete joy to talk to you and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Justin. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.